Welcome to the spirit world, answering your questions on angels, demons, and how the spiritual and physical worlds interact. And now your hosts, Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. Well, hello there, and welcome to the spirit world. I am Debbie Giorgiani with co-host Adam Bly, and this is our monthly mailbag edition here on the spirit world. So we hope you sit back and listen and uh, learn from all the questions that have come in over the past couple months. We will address them as we're going going to go very, very fast all over the place. So we have separated uh, the emails coming in, so we'll explain how that's going to work in just a moment. But Adam, we always begin with the St. Michael prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's what we did here on The Spirit World. Your emails came in, and this is how you sent them in. Uh, you um, sent the email to tsw at grnonline.com, or you went to Facebook, and you grew the family there at The Spirit World Podcast, and you left your comments on Facebook. We retrieved all of those questions and comments, and thank you so very much to everyone that has been following the spirit world. You guys said the nicest things to us, and we'll share some of those, although we, we're trying to, um, you know, maintain a sense of humility, so, so we, but we are so pleased, and it did put a big smile on our faces, the whole show team as well, and we decided to separate the mailbag show for the month of November. So for the month of November, we're going to jump all over the place and kind of grab a catch all of, of every comment that you have. And also the, the, uh, conversation you had after last week's show on all saints and all all souls, we will address that as well. And then in December, Adam, we will do another mailbag show that is, uh, focused, uh, to totally and completely on the angels, the holy angels. Okay. So just so we wanted our, our spirit world listeners to know that, you know, those of you that sent in angel comments or questions, we haven't forgotten you. We're just, we grouped you all together and you'll be in December. Okay. So does that work for you, Adam? It works for me. Sounds perfect. Okay. So last week we did the show on all saints and the poor souls in purgatory. And because of the month of November being for the, for the holy souls in purgatory and a lot of conversation was sparked after the show. And it was really quite interesting. And a lot of people said, you know, can you address 
in in depth about this private revelation and what what do we need to know about how do we pray and have our prayers be very effective? Um, are we doing enough praying? Uh, you know, too much? Or what are we doing for our own interior lives? Are we are we working on our own sense of holiness? So, Adam, let's go back and and revisit this because I think it's important that maybe our our spirit world uh, listeners. Uh, get to hear some of the conversations that we have had. And I know Timothy was one of the ones that, that sent in some comments, and uh, we want to address all of those. So why don't you go back and revisit just a little bit uh, about what we talked about and then how it applies to us for our spiritual lives. Sure. So one of the things that came up was the idea of private revelation and what it means when people say a certain private revelation is approved. Now, um, Private revelation. Let's say I say to you, hey, Deb, I had a dream last night, and I think God came to me and told me that um, purgatory is actually on the far side of the moon, and that's where everybody goes for their purgatory. That doesn't mean that that is true just because I said so, or even if I had that dream, which I didn't. Um, that is just something that I privately have perhaps come to believe or I'm thinking could be a possibility because of some experience that I had. When a person has private revelations about a spiritual matter, number one, as we said, it doesn't instantly become the truth just because they say so. Number two, we really are not supposed to like put that out into the world without submitting it to our bishop if it's related to spiritual matters. So what that means is if I am think I'm having some insight from heaven, I'm supposed to submit it to my diocese, to my bishop. For that to be looked at. When they look at it, they're going to perhaps give something called an imprimatur. And by the way, they're not going to guaranteed look at every dream that you had or, or, or thought that you have that's, you know, you think is a private revelation. You can submit them, but I'm not saying they're, they're required to respond to every submission. But if they do, they would give something called an imprimatur if they decided that there is no theological error in what you're saying. So if I were to say, um, you know, it's even more important in our day and age to pray for the poor souls, you might get back a response if they looked at it and say, well, that's not contrary to what the church teaches, right? It's a slight nuance of it that it's more important in our generation for some reason. It's not contrary to the church. It doesn't really add anything, in, perhaps, except maybe encouraging people to pray for the poor souls, but it's not contrary. If I were to say uh, purgatory doesn't exist, the scriptural references that, that refer to purgatory, they're, they're misunderstood and it doesn't exist, and I submitted that to the bishop, they would say, we will not give this an imprimatur because it goes against the teaching of the church. Okay, So when private revelations are quote-unquote approved, Almost always, that means they merely looked at it and said, is there anything here contrary to the church? They're not saying that your ideas are binding and true. They're just saying they don't cross the line and contradict something that the church teaches, which is very different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people perhaps have ideas like, you know, um, when we say a, ro a particular rosary or chaplet, Mm -hmm. that there's going to be some amount of souls released from purgatory for that. Even if that person later is declared a saint, 
that doesn't mean that that is necessarily how heaven works. Binding. Mm -hmm. It's not binding, and mm -hmm. you know we can't say definitively that's absolutely how it works because that saint said so. Padre Pio said many things, including things about the end times, about the three days of darkness, many other private revelations in letters to people that with his spiritual children. They're not binding. Mm -hmm. we, we don't say, well, that supersedes the book of Revelation. You know, he, right. he's revealed more about the end times than the Bible has. It's not binding. It's merely private revelation. And so when we take that idea into something like the poor souls in purgatory, we have to be really careful. The local bishop or cardinal may have looked at that saint's writings and said, their book has an imprimatur, it hasn't violated something that the church teaches, but that doesn't mean that it's binding on the church. So if it was submitted to Rome by that bishop or cardinal, and they, were, they looked at it, they studied it, and they included it in the Book of Indulgences, the official book of the church's indulgences that are universal in the church for the whole world, well, now it's binding. That is a teaching of the church. But if it's just something local, and they've merely said it doesn't violate the teachings of the church, it's not binding. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to be really careful about what is private revelation versus an official teaching of the church. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And so we need to keep that in perspective and understand it in, in right order so that we don't get caught up in all of these private revelations and then think that they are yes i have to do this in order to achieve that and then because when we start to get into the the mechanics of that it can it can really mess with us i think i think spiritually and mentally and emotionally because it puts a pressure on us that maybe we didn't need to have to have you know so but but the overall understanding that we are to pray for the poor souls in purgatory that is true that is what we're supposed to do as catholic christians and and how it all works, how many souls, when and if, and all that is left up to God, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we're not God. You know, um, the church receives God's word through scripture and then through tradition and revelation that is tested by the magisterium in terms of uh, the Holy Spirit unpacking more from scripture as the church moves down through time. Um, but we're not God. We don't tell God how to operate. And we can't presume to know everything about how God operates. Right. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we give those charitable prayers, but then it's up to him. Right. And then Tim asked, a, from Houston, asked a, a follow-up question onto that. He said, uh, talking about the plenary indulgences, we spoke about that for the month of November uh, for, the, for the poor souls in purgatory. And he said the normal requirements for a plenary indulgence say that we have to be free from any attachment to sin. What does that mean? How can I tell if I'm attached to sin? But Adam, before you answer that question and before we uh, have some more conversation about this, you're going to hear the music in, in just a moment because this is our monthly mailbag edition here at The Spirit World. If you'd like to send in a question or comment, uh, please email us at tsw at grnonline.com. That's how you get to us, and we will do um, another mailbag show. We're going to try to do one every month because we are we're just having an abundance of comments that, that have come in and we want to address all of them. Also, you could always post your comment or question on Facebook at The Spirit World Podcast. So when we come back, um, Adam's going to address this question from Tim. 
talking about um, attachment to sin on our monthly mailbag edition here on The Spirit World. We'll be right back. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Atheists have often viewed belief in God as wishful thinking, a projection of an idea because man fears death. But is this a fair claim? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, not everyone accepts God's existence for this reason. There are many who acknowledge His existence on the grounds of reasonable arguments. Second, even if someone does believe in God for this reason, it says nothing whether or not the proposition, God exists, is true. And finally, third, the theist could turn the table and say atheists reject God simply because they're scared of a divine rule maker and don't want to submit. Obviously, this is not evidence that can be used in support of theism. So is atheism justified because belief in God is wishful thinking? Absolutely not. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. The Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. We're not taking live phone calls today. Please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com. Okay, we are back. This is our monthly mailbag edition here on The Spirit World. No calls today. This is a pre-recorded broadcast. Uh, so please sit back, get out your notebook, and uh, listen and learn. So let's go back to Tim's question from Houston, Adam, about um, being free from any attachment to sin in order to uh, get the most out of the um, plenary indulgences. So help us out with that, will you? Sure. And this is a this is really important. So a uh, plenary, of course, means absolute or unqualified. So we could think of this as an absolute indulgence for a soul in purgatory, and that's 
you know, the bar is um, generally quite high for this because the church has been given the grace from God to offer that absolute indulgence for a soul in purgatory to finish their purification very quickly and, and move on to heaven. So the bar is very high. Um, some people think it's it's very simple, and and it's not. It's a spiritual process that involves, in a sense, heroic virtue and charity on our part. Why do I say that? When we say that we need to be have no attachment to sin, of course part of the requirements are you go to confession, you go to Mass. That's in every indulgence, plenary indulgence I've ever seen. It's always go to confession, go to Mass, and have no attachment to sin. Now, in order to understand what that means, we need to go back to the Carmelite uh, stages of the, of the spiritual life, which is we can look at St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, and those are essentially four stages. Um, the first one, we can sum it up as stop doing bad. So stop sinning, stop exploiting people, stop hurting others, uh, stop being selfish. Um, it's the purgative stage. It's where we look at ourselves and we say, wow, objectively, I'm, I'm not as nice as I thought I was. I really need to stop sinning and stop treating people poorly. After that is the illuminative stage where we start doing good. Okay, so here I'm, I'm striving to be more charitable and loving to be more like God, more like Jesus in my behavior, in my thoughts, in my emotions. And that is, you know, being patient, being charitable, serving others before yourself. Um, we are still to love ourselves, of course, and take care of ourselves, but um, people moving on in the spiritual life often pour themselves out in a sense and, and give themselves to a great extent, which is, which is, of course, what Jesus did on the cross. So stop doing bad, start doing good, and then remove all attachment to sin is a third process. And the final process is what they call the unitive stage. And that is essentially a foretaste of heaven where we have a, a kind of an encounter with God that's very visceral and very real. This doesn't happen for everybody. It happens for those that are very advanced in the spiritual life. And John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross, talks about this. Um, and he resorts to poetry because he says he can't convey in prose what it's like to have kind of a brush with God in the unitive stage. Now, the unitive stage, by the way, we don't force God to do it. No matter how much we prepare, we then wait. Uh, we make the ground fertile, and then we wait. And then if God chooses to give us that experience, he does. But it's not guaranteed that that's going to happen. So... Think of um, any sin that, that you've gone back to a number of times in your life, and maybe you've confessed over and over, and you've maybe had thoughts, am I ever going to stop with this sin? Am I ever going to succeed, you know, even though I, I think I'm going to try to not do it again, and, and I realize I keep falling to this? Instead of just giving up and saying, well, I'm just resigned that I'm going to keep doing this sin, and I'll just, confession will be a rotating door, the spiritual director, I think, would call us to a deeper exploration of what's driving us to keep committing that sin, whether it's something in the media that we're exposing ourselves to, whether it's something we're exposing ourselves to online, whether we're going back in our memory and replaying those movies in our memory and, and fantasizing about what it was like uh, to indulge in that sin and allowing that to get our passions going. Uh, whatever it might be that is leading to that sin kind of coming back and bubbling up and taking over in a sense and then leading us back into it, that's the attachment to sin. So I could say I went to confession an hour ago and I haven't done this sin in the last hour. Well, I'm in a state of grace, 
but I know in my heart I'm almost yearning for the next time I'm going to commit this sin. In a way, you know, I'm conflicted about it, but part of me is looking forward to this sin again. Removing the attachment to sin is rooting out those kind of the roots of the plant that are deep in the soil, that are giving that sin purchase and a place in your life. And that, in a sense, is a process of spiritual direction. Think of it like therapy. To really make progress in therapy, it takes digging deep in yourself and in your life and in your past and seeing how that's playing out today in order to make genuine changes. We can grit our teeth and fight our way through for a short time, but until we root out what's really driving it, we're not truly um, going through a conversion and removing sin from our life. And so this is an advanced stage. And by the way, it's not as simple as you go from one to two and then you go to three and then unitive happens. We're going to move back and forth between these first three our entire lives. People that are living saints that are later declared formally canonized saints, they still went through these. They still fell back to sin. They still fell back and did bad. They had days where they lacked charity, um, you know, and found themselves lacking, not doing good. They found days where they discovered new roots of sin they, they maybe had never noticed before that they now need to work on. It's a lifelong process. So with the indulgences, when we say we need to have no attachment to sin, that's a very high bar. Now, don't despair and say, well, I can't do that. You know, I'm not St. John of the Cross. I, I haven't been in a cloistered Carmelite monastery for 20 years praying and working with a spiritual director. Don't despair of that. But we need to do our best, and we need to understand that removing attachment to sin means beyond confession, making a commitment to not sin again, and that means making a plan to make progress in those areas. Mm -hmm. You... You um, answered that beautifully. That was excellent, well. if I do say so myself. <laughs> that was amazing. I think that was fabulous, the way you delivered that. It was so balanced. Um, it was so um, easily uh, um, absorbed, and, and I could understand it, and I could start to relate it to my own personal journey. I love the way you delivered that. Well, that's just the Holy Spirit. Take no yeah. credit. Oh, yeah, that was excellent, though. Okay, so thank you, Tim, from Houston for uh, following up and asking us those questions. I said I was going to jump all around the place, and I am. Uh, this is our monthly mailbag show for November, uh, a brand-new recorded show just for you to answer. Um, listen, we're, we're not even going to answer. the. Uh, we're not even scratching the surface with the questions and the comments that are coming in. We've just got an abundance. This mailbag uh, looks like Santa Claus's bag. It's huge. Um, so we're going to do our very best, but we're going to jump around to try and get to some of the more uh, recent comments that have come in on Facebook because you guys have some pressing things that you have to address. Like uh, Elizabeth, let's go to Elizabeth. Like I said, we're, we're moving all over the place today. Elizabeth asked about tattoos. Um, she had, had heard that um, it's a sin to get tattoos, and, it, and if you have to have them taken off, you need to have an exorcist somehow be present because there could have some demonic element to the ink or whatever, or the tattoo artist or something. So please help us with this because it sounds like Elizabeth's got a pressing issue right now. Right. So tattoos are, um, you know, a little bit debated back and forth, I think. Um, certainly we have the Old Testament reference to to the people of Israel that uh, God commands you shall not mark your bodies the way the Canaanites do, and this is a reference to um, tattooing. 
So, you know, we do have a prohibition in the Old Testament about marking our bodies. Um, there is the idea that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and to add any marking to the temple of the Holy Spirit that's human, um, you know, God created us in God's image, and it's a temp our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so to mar that with a process that pierces and physically harms the body and leaves marks upon it is, you know, to, to some people's minds problematic. Um, personally, I would lean in that direction, but I've also seen, you know, very um, well-formed priests say uh, if the tattoo is of something holy, and it's a and it's encouraging something or reminding you of something holy in your journey that it's not necessarily forbidden. Uh, certainly, tattoos that are inherently evil or portraying negative things, uh, mm -hmm. sinful things or demonic things, I, I would s safely say that God doesn't want us to do those. Um, now, this idea that you have to have an exorcist present at the removal, I think that's that's. A little over the a bit top. Extreme. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's 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 quite a bit extreme. Mm -hmm. The job, you know, an exorcist is just a priest who has permission to do exorcisms on possessed people. That's really all that means. Every priest is an exorcist, Deb. Every priest has the charism of exorcism included in their ordination. They all have that power. Do they have permission to use the right of exorcism over possessed people? only when their bishop gives it to them. Mm -hmm. So every priest is an exorcist. They don't all have permission to pick up the exorcism right and pray over possessed people. Or, or the minor right and pray over a building that has a demonic infestation. But don't think that an exorcist is a special kind of priest that's different. Mm -hmm. We're going to hit the pause button again in, in about a minute, but I wanted to ask you this. What about the tattoo artist? I've, I've, I've seen some... Uh, shows on TV where the the tattoo artist will say they they pray over each tattoo that they that they do and all that kind of stuff what, what happens if they're cursed yeah so that's a potential problem depending on who you're going to um, and even possibly the ink that they're using and where it was sourced um, if the person's into the occult I mean I think it's pretty common sense you probably don't want that person shoving needles into your skin and putting ink ink and images on you um, you know something that's question it's religious stuff too, e even right? if it's religious because mm -hmm. their intention and their quote-unquote prayer if they're into the occult or black magic or god forbid satanism um is going to be very different than something holy so you know it's pretty tough i mean i i I think just like our previous topic, the bar is pretty high on who might be a reasonable person to receive a tattoo from. I, I would want to know a whole lot about the person. I don't have them. I'm not going to get them. Mm -hmm. But if I did, I would want to know a whole lot about that person before allowing it. Yeah. I have no tattoos. None. Okay, um, you hear the music. We're going to hit that pause button. Taylor Van Est, our producer, is doing a fine job. This is a pre-recorded mailbag episode of The Spirit World for November. You can always send us an email. We love your emails. We'll get to them sometime in the century. <laughs> and the email is tsw at grnonline.com, or you can like us on Facebook at The Spirit World Podcast. But stay with us because we're answering more of your questions when we come back on the other side of this break on The Spirit World. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. 
Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue, you're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. How do you keep God in your mind once you're done with prayer and daily mass? It's different for each of us, but one tool we've learned to use in our family is Christian music. Whether you're working around the house or driving the car, it's far more uplifting to listen to than the overplayed secular love songs, and God can speak to you through it. It's amazing how transformative good Christian music can be. Music can help us memorize scripture and remind us of the providence of God throughout the day. It can teach kids the Bible in a way that they love, and kids can make music their own. As they grow up, encourage your children to pick out Christian music that they personally can relate to. There's all different genres, from chant to country to contemporary. St. Paul exhorts us, Sing psalms, hymns, and inspired songs to God from your hearts. Music can help deepen your love for God and lift your spirit to Him throughout the day. Try it this season and see. To find more resources for your family, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. We're not taking live phone calls today. Please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com. Okay, we are back and we have more of your questions that we're going to get to. Um, you know, I was being a, a little bit facetious, but I will tell you that you guys are sending in um, just a... a, a large amount of comments and questions. Um, so many of you have uh, similar situations that you're dealing with, but the, the uh, detail that you are uh, giving over to us is, um, you know, it requires a lot of time and actually each email could really be its, its own show for a whole hour. So we're going to try to group them together. Um, most of the angel questions we will cover in December. Uh, some of the questions right now uh, kind of go into the the holy angel realm, and we'll talk about that as well. But let's just go back to uh, the more recent questions that have come in, because some of you guys really are dealing with some things that Adam and I feel uh, that we need to address, and we don't really know the best way to quickly respond. So that's why we're using this mailbag episode to do that. So bear with us, stick with us, and see if your question is going to be answered today. So Lou from Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, um, asked this question, Adam, recently. If it was, wanted to ask if it was okay, is it a sin? Um, is it okay to do this or is it a sin to pray to die? 
and there's no other details to this uh, comment and question. Um, but why don't you begin, and then I, I have really strong feelings about this, so why don't you go first? Sure. Well, number one, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear um, that he's suffering in the way of, of thinking about that. Um, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, um, but it's close in terms of thou shalt not kill, because you are kind of cursing yourself because you're wishing destruction upon yourself. And I understand he might be thinking, asking God to, to take him to his judgment into heaven. But here's another layer to it. So it may not be a mortal sin, but I think it's at least venial, Deb. And here's why. We are to respect the sanctity of life from conception to natural death, because God has given us life, he has put us here, and he gives us a certain amount of time, and then it's God's choice when we go. And so to ask God to do that quicker is basically fighting against his will because mm -hmm. if we're still breathing, he still wants us alive. And so to, to kind of pray for that is contrary to God's plan for our life. And it's also in a sense contrary to charity because if we leave early, um, we are leaving those that we may have touched, that we may have helped, that we may have shared some of God's love with alone. And we are possibly leaving loved ones alone that um, we are doing harm to them, and that's a lack of charity too. So there's a number of reasons, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, why I would say it's not so much important to think of it as a sin, but it's really contrary to God's will and it's contrary to charity. Um, what are your thoughts? I have really strong feelings on this because I have had cancer twice and when you've had cancer, especially a second time, you start to think about your own time that you're going to be called home. You just think about it. It's become something that is just part of your, your daily life, you mm -hmm. know, and when, when is God going to call me home? And I, I would say this, Lou, if you're listening, um, I think if you're, if you are depressed and really down and you want to get out of, out of this world because it's so painful, um, that's a problem because you, you really want to work on that and, and figure out how you can manage, um, the, the, de the depression or the sadness or whatever you're feeling that maybe you want to, you want to leave this earth and get to heaven. Cause I do, I will tell you this, when you contemplate heaven and when you do a deep dive into heaven, it does make you very excited to get out of this life and get to heaven. Um, so I, I, it, it depends on Lou's mindset. I think, um, is he, is he looking, looking ahead and looking forward and, and saying, Lord, I want to be with you so badly, you know, take me home. And, and, and it's a, it's a beautiful, joyful part of his living here on earth. Or is it an escape? Like, take me home, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that you have to look at that. And, and I would also say this, because I, I've, feel like I've lived a long life going through two bouts of cancer and still going and still going through it. Okay. I would say that every single breath we take here on earth is an opportunity for us, an opportunity for us to grow in holiness, an opportunity for us to advance spiritually. It's an opportunity. And if we cut that short, I think it's, I think it just 
possibly could lengthen our stay in purgatory somehow, because this is a, like Mother Angelica used to say, and a lot of other holy men and women of God and would say that this is our training ground and this is our chance to really work out all the things here on earth. And so I, I wouldn't say that, I, I would also say too, that sometimes there's an unhealthy uh, clinging to this world. And, and, but yet there's also this, uh, on the flip side of that, there's also this feeling like, you know, this world is so disappointing. I just want to get out of this world. And I think you have to find out what the, what the cause is, what the, what the reason is that you're feeling that way and, and understand the bigger purpose of why we are on this earth. And, and I agree with you, Adam, we're here, we're, it's, we're part of the, we're the body of Christ. We're either building up the body of Christ or we're wounding the body of Christ. And this is important. This is important time here that we have. That's why it, when people say, well, what's my purpose? We all have a purpose. We're all part of God's plan. You know, it's important that we enter into that knowing that this life has meaning. Yeah. And you know, one place that might be helpful to go to um, for anybody wrestling with, with that is Paul. Uh, if you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, he was going through, in the, when he wrote a lot of these letters, you know, he's talking about he's, he's been in poverty, he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten. Uh, he says it's, it, it would be better to be with the Lord. However, God had more for him to do. That's right. And, you know, he was in really bad situations um, and had suffered extended periods of time. But his reflection is, but God still has me here and I have more to do. I know it's better there, but this is my job. Mm -hmm. And so that might be helpful to, to go and read those in the context of struggling with the same thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. He wasn't praying for death. He was just acknowledging, you know, it would be great to be with God. In fact, it, it, for me, it would be better for this world. But he says, for you, the people he's writing to, for you, I'm here because there's charitable work to be done. Right. And we always say this in life coaching when we have our clients that come to us at Stand Tall, have your suffering work for you spiritually instead of against you. And I think sometimes we get hurt and wounded so much in this world that it becomes so overwhelming. And, and I understand that. We see that all the time with the clients that we serve. But it's important that we go through the steps and we have it advance us spiritually and gets us closer to God here on this side of the veil. Because uh, how many times have we heard it said, you talk about, again, private revelation, uh, Adam, we've heard it said by many saints that you, you don't want to spend a lot of time in purgatory. I mean, you're better off spending it here on, on, on earth and then, you know, trying to get straight to heaven. So I think there's, you know, there's merit in that of, of finding out why you're feeling that way and then, and then making the most out of your life that can help you spiritually. That's what I would say to, to people that are kind of, you know, grappling with this and figuring out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. This, this particular email is, is quite long. It's from Susan S. And I'm, I'm going to read it slowly because we both, Adam and I both have very strong thoughts on this. So um, this may pertain to people that are going through um, really deep um, 
sadness and suffering in their lives. So it says, hello, I listened to the spirit world uh, this morning. Actually, she listened to it many mornings ago uh, and even tried to call but couldn't get through. I would like your opinion about something I experienced. I was raised in a family with no religion. Actually, I was told that this was hell. And in some respects, that was true. There was abuse of about any kind you can imagine. From the time I was very little, I saw a sparkling green light in my room, regardless of where I lived. It was always there at night and even in the day during times of abuse. I think that I assumed everyone had such a light. I wasn't afraid, afraid of it, and it was actually comforting to know it was there. The green light was with me throughout childhood and well into my adulthood. I became a Lutheran Christian shortly before I was married in my mid-20s, had three children, and the light was still there. I asked my husband if he ever saw it, but he never did. I saw it every night until I was in my mid-30s, at which time I went to a Christian counselor for a few years to deal with the childhood abuse. After that, I didn't see the green light anymore. The counselor told me that it was most likely a demon, which was quite disturbing to me. My husband of 42 years passed away two years ago in August. I started RCIA classes a year after his death. Just this past Easter vigil, I joined the Catholic Church. Welcome home, Susan. That's beautiful. I asked a priest I had come to know through RCIA about the and now, now it's called OCIA, about the light. And he said that due to the fact it gave me comfort, it was quite possibly my guardian angel. I asked him why it would, would have disappeared after so many years. He said that if it was my guardian angel, the angel was still there with me, but that after the counseling, I no longer needed to, to physically see the green light. Do you have any thoughts on this? I would very much like to believe it was my guardian angel and not a demon. Thank you most kindly, Susan S. Again, welcome home, Susan. You wrote this uh, email a long time ago, but we wanted to address it. We needed to save ample time because uh, Adam and I both have comments about this. Adam, um, you go first. You have about a minute, and then you can pick it up on the other side of the break. Okay. Um so we judge things by their fruits and when it comes to unusual things by the long-term fruits so if it just makes me feel bad uh, feel bad or good in the moment um, that's not really enough we want to see the long-term fruits and the long-term fruits here is that it comforted her for years and years and then it went away uh, when she did the therapy to address things she needed comfort for so I would definitely lean towards the positive on this now of course you want to be sure it's not the brain you want to you know maybe mention it to your primary care physician I saw this shimmering light for a lot of years make sure that's not a brain thing but given that it went away on its own along with counseling I'm leaning towards the spiritual but maybe after the break we can talk more mm -hmm. So you hear the music. This is our monthly mailbag edition of The Spirit World. If you'd like to ask a question uh, for a future mailbag show, just email us, tsw at grnonline.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. We're trying to grow the family there at The Spirit World Podcast. I want to thank Taylor Van Est, our producer, again, for putting together this uh, special pre-recorded broadcast. He's doing a fine job. On the other side of the break, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off on Susan's email.
The St. John Leadership Network presents Glance at the Gospel with Father Nathan Cromley. In the Gospel for this Sunday, our Lord says something that might surprise us. While speaking to his apostles, he says that the greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is not easy for us to hear or understand because so much of our life is spent in trying to rise to the top. Be it in sports or be it even in school, so many parents spend most of their time trying to give their children an edge. What parent wants their kids to play on a team that's not the best? Or what parent wants their kids to go to a school that's not the best? And of course, we've absorbed this attitude where many of us are convinced that if we aren't the best in the eyes of the world, then we're missing out on life itself. That's why Jesus' words are so challenging to us, and they must have been challenging for his apostles at the time. At its heart, the message of Jesus to them is simple. Do not allow yourself to be judged by the world's standards. Instead, judge your life in the light of God. I think all of us can appreciate just what a leap of faith this is. After all, God bids us to love one another, forgive our enemies, serve each other, and lift up those who go without. Many of us fear that if we actually put those words into practice, we'd be left out and our lives would be bereft of the good things of this world. But Jesus didn't come here to take things away from us. He came to give us life and that more abundantly. What will happen if I put his words into practice? Maybe in fact, I won't lose things. Maybe in fact, I'll gain a whole new appreciation for life. To live a life where our spiritual values come first means living life to the full. After all, how could I possibly lose if God is my focus? For more information, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org. The Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. We're not taking live phone calls today. Please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com. Okay, we are back. And Adam, I'm going to ask you just to rewind just a bit on Susan's email, your response, and then I'll pick up um, because she mentions uh, guardian angels there. And since I studied angels for over 10 years, uh, very deeply, um, I have definite definite uh, thoughts about uh, her her journey. Go ahead, go ahead, Adam. Sure. So the the two points that I was making was you want to judge uh, unusual spiritual experiences by their fruits, particularly by their long term fruits. Not just that it feels good in the short term, but that it bears good fruit in the long term. Um, the devil can create shams that seem good in the short term, but in the long term are bad. So in this case, it, it sounds good. It was comforting for many years, uh, did not disrupt your life, didn't derail things. Um, so I would be leaning towards that. And of course, when it comes to seeing things, we need to, you know, always in a common sense way, double check on the brain and psychology and mention to our doctor, you know, I'm seeing these shimmering lights because I did have a case of somebody that saw shimmering lights and it was an operable brain tumor on their occipital lobe of their brain. Mm -hmm. So you, you do want to just cover, yeah, you, you yeah. want to cover Medical that base. Stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, you know, that's basically my thoughts. I would be leaning towards the positive, um, you know, very possibly a guardian angel and that this was a, a visual clue 
um, to a spiritual grace that they were receiving that maybe mm-hmm. it was helpful to them. Okay, so a couple things that my thoughts on it from studying angels. Um, Susan's email, just the details of her email. So I'm basing it on the facts that she put in this email. Okay, I'm not trying to to go further than what she said here in the email. But she talked about uh, severe abuse. She talked about being very little when this light started appearing, very little. We know uh, from stories that we've heard of people in angel encounters that, that the young have a very, they're, they're very receptive to that um, because of their, their pureness of heart. You know, they haven't, they haven't, you know, entertained any sin yet. You know, they're, they're just, they're very, very um, open and um, they're very innocent. So that is, to me, a, a real um, clue there that I believe, in, based on the details of this email, that God allowed Susan's guardian angel to show her some comforting light as she was going through this severe abuse. Because as a child, we know that that can really mess with you. It can change your brain chemistry. It can change everything. It just really can, can, can harm you and hurt you in many, many ways. And I believe that that's based on your email, Susan, that God uh, gave you that beautiful gift to show that you had that constant light so that you had your guardian angel beside you. I also think that the Christian counselor was trying to be very cautious because of the fact that what you said, Adam, you know, maybe it was a medical thing, a mental or emotional issue, or somebody, you know, thinking they, they're seeing lights and they're not, and, or it could be a, any kind of demonic influence or something. And so the Christian counselor, you know, ruled it as, hey, just let it go. You know, we'll, we'll work on uh, the trauma that you experienced as a child and, and let's move forward. Um, so I'm not blaming the Christian counselor. I just don't, I think they just wanted to be, be certain that she wasn't entertaining anything that was demonic. Okay. But then it goes on to this wonderful priest who she met in RCIA, which is now called OCIA. That's how long ago we received this email. Okay. Um, I agree with this priest. Um, this priest, I think, was spot on. I do believe it was possibly a guardian angel that was that was there to to um, just give you that comfort to keep you going. And then, as you matured and you came into your own and, and made peace with things that were that happened in your life and forgiveness and all sorts of things that you probably had to go through um, to get through the emotional and childhood abuse that you experienced. Um, yeah, your angel never leaves you. It's not your angel's not going to leave you, but you didn't need to see the light anymore. You didn't need to see that light anymore. And I think that was a beautiful progression. And I think it was a great gift that, that God gave you as a very small child when you were experiencing some pretty um, horrific abuse situations. So I, I would just say, I think it's wonderful, but I don't, I, again, hearing Susan's story, that is her journey and that is her story and welcome uh, home, Susan, into the into Holy Mother Church. I think it is wonderful um, that you went through the process, and and now um, you're in the Catholic faith again. So I think it's beautiful. But let me just share this: I wouldn't go and look for these lights and look for uh, clues that your angel is there. Know that your angel is there. It's a truth of our faith. It's that simple. Um, so don't don't be looking for. Um, you know, they, they have to interact. That is where the danger happens. Right, Adam? 
Yeah, we shouldn't look for the extraordinary things. So it, you know, God allows extraordinary things for for His reasons, and in this case, it was just likely what you said there, Deb. So um, it is important that we not look for signs or communication uh, with our guardian angels. That we just be at peace that they're there, ask for their help, ask them to assist us, um, but don't look for the kind of explicit communication or signs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go quickly because we're going to run out of time. Amanda from Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, says that she believes she had an out-of-body experience. Uh, she wants to know why this might have happened and what it could mean. I would, Before we uh, have a, uh, Adam answer, I would also go to Father Robert Spitzer. He has done some wonderful work on uh, videos and on YouTube and through EWTN. Uh, Father Spitzer talks about um, near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. He, he explains it all, and he's so brilliant. But go ahead, Adam. Well, so this is a big topic, but there has been some research in psychology um, and neurology of people that are interested in whether this is real or not. A lot of it indicates that it is very vivid dreams when they actually test it with concrete things in the environment to see if they're seeing the genuine environment versus a dream. So uh, I don't know that, you know, what she saw or experienced exactly, but my my thing with the, all these uh, kind of unusual experiences is if it didn't happen again, it was a while ago, I would just be, you know, be at peace with it, leave it, and move on with life and focus on your journey with God. It's not worth trying to figure out whether it was a dream or whether it was a true, quote-unquote, out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, we do not leave the body until we go to our judgment. So, um, I would certainly not pursue trying to leave your body. Um, that's not something that's in the order that God created for us. It's not something we're supposed to seek. We're not supposed to try to astral project. Um, you know, that being said, uh, some of the near-death people that have that have clinically died will describe uh, leaving their bodies, this type of thing. I don't know if she was near death. It's kind of a big, complicated thing. Go with what uh, Deb's advice there look up Father Spitzer's information, you know, get educated, but don't let this be a rabbit hole that you get lost in and just go down this rabbit hole. This isn't the source of spiritual reality or insights. Uh, It was an unusual experience, and I think the best advice is to move on and and focus on on the positive. I would agree. Thank you, Amanda. Okay, so now I'm I'm really not joking, okay, because we probably got to a half a dozen um, emails, and we have... Wow, probably over a hundred that we need to address. So I don't know how we're going to do it. Maybe we'll do a webinar or something of that nature. Um, or maybe we'll have a perpetual webinar going on to answer everybody's. We love the comments. Um, you guys made great comments about the show. You said you love the solid catechesis. You said it's well balanced. Um, you seem to kind of kind of like us, and that's nice because we love you. So thank you so very much for supporting the Spirit World. Why don't you like us on Facebook? We're trying to grow the family there at the Spirit World Podcast. You can email us, tsw at grnonline.com. But just check out each monthly mailbag uh, show and then see if we answered your question. That's the best way uh, we can get in touch with you there. Uh, We want to thank Taylor Van Est, our producer, for putting together this special uh, recorded broadcast, our monthly mailbag for November. Okay, that's it. It's a wrap. Until next Saturday, have a beautiful and blessed week. We'll see you real soon.